You're listening to In Conversation from the Educational Freedom Institute. We are we are streaming live on five different platforms. Uh, if if uh, you if you're only st- looking at this from one platform, you're doing it wrong. Uh, and I'll let you know all these other platforms you can check out uh, just in case you want to check out, you know, live stream from other locations. Um, this is streaming from my individual, per, you know, personal Facebook account, my personal Twitter account, my personal YouTube account. Uh, but this is also streaming from the Facebook page for the Educational Freedom Institute. If you haven't followed that page, you better go right ahead and check that out right now, especially if you're already watching on my personal Facebook page, go over to the Educational Freedom Institute Facebook page and, and check it out as well. Uh, and then also it's on the YouTube channel of the Educational Freedom Institute. So you can check it out from any of those five platforms at the moment. And uh, what's what I really want to let everybody know while people are still hopping on, uh, I'm not going to answer the question of what a micro school is because that's what we're going to get into with Kelly Smith, uh, the CEO of Prenda Micro Schools over in, in Arizona. We'll talk about it in a second, uh, but I want to let everybody know that we don't want to just talk to ourselves here, even though you know Kelly's an extremely awesome guest and super interesting guy that he'll have awesome things to talk about today with the micro schools going on uh, with, the, with the Prendo micro schools. But we also allow for comments to show up on the bottom of the page. They'll show up, you know, hopefully a little bit below Kelly's face so that we, you know, if, you, if your comment is too long, it'll cover him up. Um, so I'll try not I'll try to keep it short and it'll be at the bottom of the page and we'll be able to respond to your questions directly and we'll be able to feature them in the show. That's, that's a, a bonus. I would say I, Whenever I saw someone else using this software and I saw the comments showing up and I was on Facebook, this was actually Chris Stewart's, uh, um, uh, Chris Stewart's an amazing guy He's over at EduPost. Uh, I actually just wanted to pop up onto his stream just so that my comment could be featured at the bottom. So I figured that we would do that with our streams as well. So make sure you're commenting and we'll be able to feature your comments. We'll be able to respond to your comments. And, you know, if you just want to, Get, let you know, let us know your thoughts. We'll be able to uh, feature those as well. And so it looks like we have a pretty good amount of people that have hopped on uh, to the call already. Uh, so yeah, Matthew Nielsen, can you take it away with uh, some quick introductions and we can get into this uh, discussion? Yeah. So um, I'll start just with the formal introductions here. And uh, I do have some announcements later on, but I'll, I'll wait for those. I'll push them to the end. So I'm Matthew Nielsen. I'm the board chair at the Educational Freedom Institute. Corey DeAngelis joins us as always. He's the executive director at EFI and also the director of school choice at the Reason Foundation and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Our special guest today is Kelly Smith. He's the founder and CEO of Prenda Micro Schools. And uh, I'm sure he has a longer bio than that, but my um, Facebook stocking skills aren't quite up to snuff <laughs> and I haven't been able to find much else. So you have to tell us more about yourself, Kelly, but that's what I got on you. And we really appreciate you coming on to talk to us. So, so great to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys. You bet. I'm a fan of the show. I've listened to several <laughs> of the episodes. Cool. Cool. We appreciate that. We're glad to have you on. And we maybe Kelly, you know, we like to, if you've listened to a couple of these, usually we like to, 
ask just an initial question that pretty much stays the same from from show to show. And that is, if you could please tell us more about how you got interested in education and a little more about yourself as well. Yeah, it's a great question. It's always interesting to hear people's journey. Um, mine is one of, I've, I've kind of liked the process of learning. I remember being a, um, a teaching assistant in physics, for example, and I would, I would wear the special vest. It was like a, a, you know, a cloth, you know, maybe a cotton fabric vest and it had the word physics embroidered over the, the chest. And I remember feeling proud wearing that vest and walking around with my whiteboard markers and people would come in this lab and ask me questions and I got to help answer their questions. But I always had this secret, um, the secret mission, which was to help them appreciate how awesome physics is, right? So I would stop my explanation of this particular homework problem and be like, but do you see what this means? Like the farther you get away, like the, the gravitational pull goes down by like the square of the distance. And, and people always just looked at me with rolled eyes and particularly the medical students would be like, how, how does this give me a grade and get me into med school? You know, like they didn't really get, get into it as much as I did, but um, lo I love the process of humans learning. I made a, what I, I joke about as a pretty superficial decision to not be a teacher, even though I love that stuff. Um, and it was really all about like, I wanted to have a family. I was already married at that point. And, um, you know, I just, I felt like I would go into maybe go find something that would make more money. So I, I, I joke that I've, I've um, lived with the shame of that superficial decision ever since. Um, I went into technology. So I studied nuclear physics at MIT. I was working on magnetic confinement fusion, which if you're curious, those of you at home uh, doesn't work yet. And, um, and after that, I left to do some consulting and worked for a number of technology companies, mostly in the space of energy um, and helping buildings use energy more efficiently, things like that. Um, I sold a small software business when I was, um, I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and working for a big company. And when I sold that, that business, the new company was remote. So um, I was able to work from anywhere. And my wife and I had that conversation, you know, four little kids and our families are both in Arizona. So moved back to my hometown. Uh, it's a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. And with some time on my hands, I decided to start teaching kids computer programming as a purely volunteer initiative. So this was me at the library with my own kid and friends, kids. And then um, I put up posters around. There's like a low income neighborhood near the, the public library in downtown Mesa, Arizona. So I, I thought, you know, maybe one of these kids would take to coding and, and go get a job and, and it would be good for them and their family. So that was my sort of stumbling into education. It was never meant to be a business or a, a school or any other organization. I just thought, what if we can help some kids um, learn? But what, what happened was that turned into a, a laboratory for me where I was trying things and watching the process and really just trial and error, getting to a, a place where uh, I, I learned some things about how kids think and how kids learn. And it was really a, a great experience. I did it basically every week for five years. I was in this lab with kids working one-on-one uh, -on -one with lots and lots of children about how to learn computer programming. And at some point I said, what if we did school this way? You know, the, the, the model itself. And that was the beginning of, of me kind of stumbling into micro schools and, and education. Yeah, so let's let's get on that. I know a lot of my listeners are just thinking, what the heck is a micro school? I even right. titled the, the, the title of this video is what are micro schools with an exclamation point? <laughs> 
<laughs> question mark. Um, so yeah, can you get along a little bit? Can yeah. you tell us about that connection between the coding and then to micro schools and then you know, what's Prenda, yeah. uh, you're the founder of an organization called Prenda, and is that like a private school, public school, is it a charter yeah. school? Can you give us all that background? Happily. So um, a micro school is a term that I did not invent, but a lot of people have, have started using micro school just to mean, as you would expect it to mean, a smaller uh, version of school. Some people, um, you know, refer to micro schools that are up to 50 or 75 kids. Uh, to us, Prenda, a micro school is between five and 10 students, typically similar in age, and, and they meet in an environment that's informal. So often this is in somebody's house, in a back classroom of a church, in a, an office, a spare room at an office building. Um, it's less about the physical facility, and it's more about this, this group uh, dynamic where there's a group of humans coming together for the purpose of learning. And for us, it's important too to talk about why uh, our mission is empowering learners. And, and so if we can create a, a small, safe, informal environment where kids can be ignited as, um, you know, learners, not physically ignited. I realize I'm, in, I'm, I'm on the internet here talking about lighting children on fire. That's not what I want to do. Don't do that. <laughs> their brains to be uh, captivated and, and immersed in the effort of learning. Uh, and so that's really what we've um, what we've tried to do is, is create an environment. The first micro school that we did was me in my house with my son, Asher, and six of my friend's kids. So we were around my kitchen table. I did not have at the time a curriculum or a model to speak of. I had learned some things through the, the process of doing that code club after school, but it wasn't full curriculum. Um, <clears throat> and so getting to the point where it, this could be school for these kids. Um, so at first it was a group of homeschoolers kind of voluntarily voluntarily associating. Um, we've also morphed into partnering with charter schools or district schools. So this would be a group of virtual learners through either charter or district that are enrolled in full, you know, full school, but they meet together in, in this micro school configuration. Uh, we've had other students that have, you know, parents just pay for it. We have students that fund it through um, empowerment scholarship accounts or other such um, you know, state, state programs. There's actually multiple ways to do it and we've become pretty agnostic, uh, less excited about you know, one particular program or another. So as we look at different geographies, it's really just a question of how can we put together a, um, an environment that really empowers kids as learners and in the process of that, um, you know, how can we get it funded and, and paid for? So you found the, the Code Club website. That that was the initial start there, prendacodeclub.com. Oh, wow. Is there, is there a new website? So if you go to prendaschool.com, you'll see a lot more about what we're doing right now. Okay, cool. And yeah, and we continue, by the way, to sell Code Club as a service to public libraries all over the world. Um, and kids are coming down to learn computer programming. That's a smaller portion. By this point, um, most of our t time and efforts and resources are, are spent on uh, micro schools. So you'll, you'll see all about micro schools at prentiscool.com. So, um, I, I think I answered your question, Corey, but stop me if. Yeah. So, um, just for clarification, some people, you know, talk about things like homeschool co-ops. Is this kind of like a homeschool co-op where, you know, it's just families are getting together and it uh, is, um, I would say, think of, you know, if, if you have this whole spectrum, you have full unschool on one, one mm -hmm. end of the spectrum where it's just like, 
it's all about empowerment and, and completely personalized, tailored to that child. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, you know, a, a pretty uh, right. disciplined or rigid, um, you know, traditional model. Um, you know, there's kind of like, you step a little bit this way, it's a homeschool, it's still pretty, the co-ops are pretty flexible. Um, the stories you'll hear from people who do co-ops, for example, it's, we did this one for a month and then it wasn't quite working or there was this falling out with the families. And so it moved into this other thing. There's, it's very fluid. A Prenda micro school for the most part um, stays the same, for example, for a school year. So you choose that micro school, you kind of commit to each other. There's a guide that runs that micro school. This is a person that's screened by us, trained by us, um, supported by us. So there's a lot of time and effort that we put into helping that person be successful. And we can talk a lot about uh, what that person does. Cause as I think everybody knows the adult in the room physically there with the kids plays a really, really critical role to education. But what we're finding and, and seeing and kind of asserting is that it's, it's hard in a very different way than what most people assume. And we actually tell these people, for example, not to be subject matter experts, not to deliver lectures, not to write lesson plans. So there's things that a traditional teacher wouldn't do or would do that we say don't do. But then there's a lot more about you have 10 kids. You've got to know those kids inside and out. You've got to be able to motivate each one of them. So it's that really difficult work of clicking with a, another human being and helping them become the best version of themselves. Yeah, so could you go over some of like the day-to-day -day of, of a Prenda micro school teacher? Sure. Is it is it is it more like student-centered where they're kind of guides rather than just lecturing the whole time? Or yeah, there's no lectures. We call them learning guides. Uh, so they're not even called a teacher. Um, and our guides play a very, very critical role. They are the ones that that really build that um, strong connection with each child. So we provide a learning model that's, we describe it as like scaffolding. It's, it's, um, it works to kind of take Prenda out of the box and use it and do nothing else to it. And we have some of our people that do that, but most people will take it and sort of apply their own, you know, their own interests, tailor it to work for, for not just them as the adult that's involved, but also for the, the group of kids that they're working with. Uh, and I can talk a little bit about kind of what that learning model is. Um, we have yeah. three modes. One of them is conquer mode. Conquer is where kids work on core academic skills at their own pace. So this would be if you've heard of blended learning tools like or concepts like mastery based learning. We use other people's tools for the most part for conquer mode. So this is imagine a, a group of fourth and fifth graders working on Khan Academy. They're all at a different point depending on what they understand. So it's all very mastery driven. They'll set a daily goal for themselves and report that out loud to their group and then just work on it until they learn what they need to learn for that day. Um, there's a lot of mutual celebration of success. There's a lot of commiseration and, and supporting each other when things are hard. As you guys know, the learning process is messy. It requires people to dig deep and, um, and face uncomfortable failure at a, at a lot of moments. And so to create an environment where kids are able to do that, where they are excited to do that, to show up to school day after day and, and mm -hmm. learn, uh, that's a lot of our goal. And, and we don't believe that everybody starts as self-learners, but we do believe that humans can become self-learners. It's, it's fascinating to bring them into this environment and see what happens inside of Conquer. So, so what does that transportation look like for, for most families? I, I would assume that it's different from family to family. Is are, Do people pretty much get micro schools that are located real close so you can kind of walk to school or is there like a 
parents? Yeah, great question. Um, in the early days, we had fewer micro schools, so people were driving 20 minutes, you know, to to match up with each other. Uh, as density has increased, we've we've seen shorter commutes, um, and most of our micro schools today are local, either a short drive or, uh, for example, my daughter, who's a fourth grader this year, pre-COVID would would ride her bike a quarter mile to an, a neighboring house. And Mary, the guide over there, is just an amazing person in our neighborhood and her own daughter's in the class and son. So so as my daughter goes over, she's part of this very hyper-local kind of community-based hmm. group. And, and our goal is to facilitate that as much as possible because we love these, these safe, um, hyper-local connections. And what what's like the minimum number, Kelly? Like five kids? Five. Yes. Okay. Five at the minimum and 10 at the max. Okay. So at 10, at 11, (laughs) you say it's time to find another place that's nearby to that. And what happens there, we've already seen this happen over the last couple of years, is it starts to feel like cellular division, right? One of the moms that was just sending. Scientists coming out. There you go. Yeah. I didn't do the bio, (laughs) but oh no. (laughs) <laughs> my, uh, my sensor just turned up. Um, I didn't do biotech, but I wish I did now that I, we kind of need a vaccine. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, you, you can imagine one of the moms is the guide and she's the one that's really working with the group. And then one of the other moms is, is really like embracing it, seeing the change in her own child, getting excited about what can happen. And she then steps up and says the next year, Hey, I'll open a class. And so then you have 20 kids instead of 10. And, and that's, basically how the growth has been so far. It's been pretty local in these communities. That's cool. So something I was wondering, and a lot of times people will push back um, against private schools and charter schools, for example, just based on like alternatives to certificate, like teacher certification. How does that work with Prenda? And, you know, how do you respond to any of those types of, you know, maybe you guys do go through the traditional certification. We don't. So yeah. How does that whole process look and, uh, yeah, and, I think and, with any certification question, well, you know, education or otherwise, the, the question is what skills and attributes are you looking for? And is there a way to somehow signal that or, or communicate? I think what we're doing with our, these learning guides is a departure enough from what a traditional teacher is, is strong at and what they're built for. Um, that's not to devalue that at all. There's, there's actually tons of need uh, as we've looked at how to structure this. So for example, development of a curriculum and a learning model, we've hired several um, teachers that are working on that for us. How to train and support these learning guides and help them evolve um, in this process of of working with kids on their education. There are several more uh, special eds, all certified teachers for our our team. So there's places where um, skill sets have, you know, that people have figured these things out. So we're not, um, you know, some people will look at these you know, crazy techies or something that are trying to just like automate away everything. That's in no way what we're trying to do. The goal here is to take what what we have available and, and wherever we can find those skills. Several of our guides happen to be um, past classroom teachers, but more important than that is is the willingness that they have to to do this work of a guide, which it really is different than um, than the work of a teacher. Yes, so like, for example, if you have some like retired physicist or something that wants to go and, and teach, is it true that in Arizona that they wouldn't be uh, necessarily um, 
qualified because they didn't go through the traditional route. And, and now, so Arizona is good on this. So even in a traditional, like even if you were at a charter school, or I think even a district school, a the rule is just a bachelor's degree. And then you have to be able to show competence in whatever you want to teach. Um, but for, for us, it's a little different that our teacher structure looks more like a, an online school where we'd have those quote teachers of record that are not in person there with, with the kids. The person with the kids is a learning guide. It's a different role. It's a new thing. And the teachers were trying to really leverage that skill set in things like I talked about curriculum design, special ed, um, inter, you know, intervention type models where you want to watch through data. You can see where all the children are in terms of their mastery and then strategically intervene. And then the development and support of those um, of those learning guides is critical as well. So tons of places where like a professional educator is super, super critical to this model. Um, yeah, does it just doesn't look exactly the same as what you'll see in a traditional school. Is there like an ideal student profile, Kelly? Yeah, it's a good question. We thought there was um, because you you obviously will see things like, um, you know, like autonomy is a, is a concept that will show up, right? So people will immediately assume, okay, this needs to be the type of kid that you just sort of suggest something and they'll just run with it and get it done. Um, now I know a lot of kids in Prenda. I think we're over 800 students today. And uh, I can tell you that they're not, they don't start out that way. I think they move towards that for sure as, as part of the group, but there's this missing thing. So a child and a, and a computer can be really, really efficient, but it forgets about the human aspect of it and motivation and psychology. And so what we've really tried to do is fill in where that, that human gap was, the motivation and psychology is is really like, how do I create the environment where a child will show up and they want to be there because they feel this connection to other humans. They feel empowered and encouraged and supported by a loving guide, an, an adult in their life who's vested in them, who cares. And you put all that together now, you have this recipe, right? The, the computer still is better at giving a tailored lesson to 10 different kids or 30 different kids, right? There's no way a human can simultaneously give 30 different lessons. A computer can do that easily, but what a computer can't do is help those 30 kids, or in our case, 10 kids care, right? Like how do they, how do they feel invested and how do they want to, to learn what's in front of them? So what we've really been able to do is build a culture that, and it really relies on finding the right people as learning guides that step up, deliver great educational experiences. And then you have these environments that are um, really powerful. It's like, it almost feels like magic to walk into these places. Cause you look at these, these kids and the light in their eyes, it's just like, it's shining. It's like, I I'm here. I want to learn. I'm engaged. It just feels very different than I think a lot of people's perception. Would you say that that's one of the major improvements in education that Prenda has been able to accomplish is the tailoring or like what, what are some of the yeah, the tailoring was there already. I, I don't, I actually don't feel like that's necessarily, now we've supplemented that, Corey's earlier question, I didn't really finish answering, but we've we've built Conquer Mode, which is these like tailored lessons in math and English. But on top of that, there's Collaborate Mode. That's a facilitated group activity. Everybody's doing hands-on science experiments or teaching each other about history. There's Create Mode where it's teams of two doing projects together. And, and, and that, those things bring it to life in a way that that feels very different. So I think if you had to, if I had to distill it down, I think the real difference here is is a culture and a, a an environment. It's a mm -hmm. place where I mean, really, a lot of homeschoolers, like you, probably have homeschoolers watching right now 
that would say, of course, like we've been doing this forever. And I think that's true. I think their 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 friends are saying, yeah, but you're some sort of, you know, like organized, dedicated person who's willing to do it. I like me as a parent, that doesn't feel accessible to me. And so what Prenda's trying to do is take a lot of what the the homeschool slash alternative educators, there's there's lots of good stuff that has happened. Try to package it in a way that that really can be available to lots more kids. So you said you took some, um, you know, you have some students that use the the education savings accounts program in Arizona as well, right? Yep. Um, so I'm wondering, yeah, so essentially this is a form of, almost like a form of homeschooling that's funded through an education savings account. In that context, um, yeah. Are there, like, when you, when you accept that, you know, the education savings accounts funding, I know some homeschoolers are concerned that, well, when you, you start accepting the funding, then comes the government encroachment. Are, sure. are, is there anything that you've seen any different as when, when you, you know, accept students who use, you know? Uh, yeah. So all of our students, for example, take the state test. That's a place where some, some parents will just say it's, mm -hmm. it's out of hand, not going to happen. What I found is that most people's problem with it though, is less about the idea of a test or even like a standard, like having some set of knowledge that we want or skills that we think kids should learn. It's not that specifically that a lot of parents really get annoyed with. It's the way it's done and sort of this high stakes, high pressure. We only care about one thing and the kids feel that, internalize it. And at the end of the day, you have these kids who are, you know, like can't fall asleep at night and they're worried yeah. about, you know, the test. And so what we've tried to do is, is take all of that off. Um, growth mindset, for example, is built into everything we do. So really working on um, not dwelling on some sort of, um, you know, like arbitrary grade at, at this particular time, you your understanding is here. It's here's where you are every day and growth is available to you uh, as a learner. And so the message, being able to send that message over and over again as part of this culture has felt very empowering. And I've talked to many parents that Kind of started out with that skepticism like well what is the government <laughs> requirement going to be how is that going to look and instead it's like oh it actually doesn't it feels very different it's a, it's a different culture yes we're aligned to standards yes we're taking tests um but we're not doing it in a way that you know that feels so mm -hmm. high pressure that it kind of feels perceived harm you know to right and just to just to incorporate some uh, audience questions, I see Tori Sledge has added one about you were talking a little bit about tech that was used. He wants to know if you don't if you sure. if you're not answering uh, what tech have you incorporated, maybe either just with Prenda overall or just an individual. You know, yeah. So um, tech, I mean, tech shows up in lots of places in the in our organization, but I think the one that's probably the most salient here is is what do the kids experience? Um, Prenda has created a, a web application. So the kids are on a Chromebook. Um, they log in and call it Prenda World. It's kind of a, a fun way to keep track of goals and accountability and, and for the kids to own their learning. So the scaffolding that I kind of alluded to earlier, that's all done through software that we've created. Now, as part of that, there will be, you know, I'm going to do a lesson in Lexia or Zern or some other software. There's all these great tools out there for personalized learning. Uh, so wherever possible, our goal was to not recreate other people's work. So we we link out to and incorporate. What's missing there a lot of times is just having sort of a unified framework for being for a kid to be able to see and then share with their parents. Here's where I'm at. 
you know, overall, and then I can see my progress. So we've built tools kind of around those other things to allow, um, you know, allow self-learning to progress and uh, goal setting and things like that. Kids take to Chromebooks um, very well. And as you guys probably know, they're, they're not expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're a nice option as far as that goes. You get them for like 200, 300 bucks, right? They're pretty, yep. pretty cheap. So that's good. So obviously everyone's been talking about COVID-19 and its effects on the education system overall. You, you wrote an article pretty recently on co how COVID could be education's or, or just in, in general a Sputnik moment. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, what some of the thoughts that you had in that piece? Oh, yeah. Corey, you shouldn't ask questions like this. It's, uh, it's filling me with delight. Um, <laughs> obviously, I care enough about these ideas to write an article and I'd ha happily talk about it. I mean, basically, I, I've played back. My dad was born in 1957, which was the year Sputnik um, Sputnik flew over overhead in the US. And this was, you guys remember, early space age kind of moment. So if you've studied the history of this, um, it was terrifying, right? Like students in elementary school would hide under their desks on a regular basis for these drills. Like if, the, if Russia can send this little dot across space, then they can send a missile across space and they can blow us up. And so it was this, this really scary moment, I would say akin to kind of what our children are feeling right now, right? Um, with, with COVID, it's a scary, scary time. But the flip side of it, and what I tried to say in this article is that there was this sense of uh, responsibility and, and encouragement that came with this. You had the president of the United States really imploring the, the children of the world to, um, to study math and study science and care about these things, not because of some grade, but because your country needs you um, mm -hmm. and, and it's time to step up. And you saw a response to it. I think I have some of the data in this article, but it's, it's, it was fascinating to see uh, this bump in scientists and engineers who went on to help, you know, the, the for example, the Apollo programs and, and landing people on the moon and some of the great things that happened after that. Um, and so what I'm hoping for is that th the time will come where, you know, wh where people will see this. And instead of saying, oh, this is awful. Like I'm on, I'm rewatching like this Netflix series for the third time. It's like, <laughs> For our kids to say, wow, like the world needs me to figure out how human body, the human body responds to flu viruses, right? And, and new strains and how do vaccines even work? And what is, what is the deal with testing? And what is an antibody? And all these, these things that have kind of entered our general consciousness. I want a generation of learners that will step up and ask those questions, not just for the sake of knowing them, but for the sake of doing something about it. And you know, there's this great article Mark Andreessen wrote recently about um, being builders and, and emerging as builders as a society. And for me, that's very, very connected to the idea of learners, right? A learner is somebody who learns not just to, um, you know, feel smarter than someone else. It's it's to dig in and use it and, and contribute in some way. And so this generation, I, I mean, I've worked with enough of these kids now that I have no question about their capability. And my goal is to just help them get to that point where they see that and they make that choice for their life to go on and, and choose to learn, choose to be a learner, choose to be a builder, solve, engineer us out of these problems in the future because we need it more than ever. So I had a question about, did you, you said the micro schools with Prendar are between five to 10 students on average, right? Yep. 
Um, is there, you know, like what, what's your theory behind, you know, why that's like a good number? Is that just kind of how people tend to, you know, uh, collaborate with one another? Is that kind of just how it's kind of spontaneously worked or is there some type of, you know, yeah. I cannot claim What's the I mean, science behind that. <laughs> I have no research to cite, although people have told me there's there are some numbers on, on both ends of that. Really. I can tell you the, um, we worked with a lot of rural communities in our code clubs. And then again, with, with micro schools, love rural communities. We had some code clubs where we could only get like two or three kids and it just never quite got to that level of engagement and enthusiasm. So I would watch, the engagement over, over lots of these. And we end, ended up actually getting a grant from the federal government to do code clubs in rural libraries. So it's fascinating to have the sample size and where they could get to five, it just felt like they, they came alive. There, there was this enough of a, a shared enthusiasm for learning to code that that human factor worked. And so people would kind of engage with each other. They'd come back and bring their friends. Um, when we got less than that, you know, four like four kids, and then somebody's absent, and it starts to feel like, oh, this isn't this isn't really a place we're learning. So it's it's all finicky. I I totally. I mean, could it be four? Yes. Could it be six? Yes. I you know, I'm not um I'm not gonna like die on the battlefield over any of these numbers. On the ten side, this is when we get debated a lot because our best guides are in high demand, right? You can imagine as these social networks um, e evolve. People are like, oh, so-and-so's a guide? Like, I love her. My kids went to her for piano. We know her really well. Like, please let us in. And and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm already at 10 and I'm, I'm booked up. So we've had actually quite a bit of pressure on this. Uh, we've made exceptions a couple times and, and sort of dabbled mm -hmm. with it. But I'll tell you, I mean, you get a little bit above 10 and, and instead of individuals, it's like you see a group. And when yeah. you see a group, it's, it's a really different feeling um, there was one day with code club where my uh, buddy, Andy, who was helping me with it, didn't come. And somebody, I think we had some teen volunteers and they didn't come. And so I, um, I was in charge by myself as the only adult and there were 57 kids. And I remember being like, nope, like this cannot, I can't do this again myself. And I will never put anyone else in this situation, but you get 10 and you, and it's, um, you can create that environment and it's scalable, right? It's easy to find. Uh, a physical space in a house that can can have 10 kids for example it's easy to find a group of 10 that can form so it's partly practical um but i'd say the, the part of it that's closest to science is that feeling of switching over from seeing individuals to seeing uh, a group have you guys ever heard about I, I don't know where i heard this but that people like on average tend to think in sevens or that that's like kind of their memory capacity it's it's I've heard that before. That's why phone numbers are seven. Is that yeah. maybe like five to ten? It's like in that range. Yeah, yeah. We're going for seven. Seven was my first. It was my first micro school with seven kids, and it was it was a blast. Do any uh, individual teachers? You, you you said some like parents can say like oh, I want this particular guy. Did any teachers say like Ah, oh, come on, I can handle twenty. Just give me they twenty. Do. Yeah. They do. <laughs> yep. We have some that actually are doing. So what they're doing is like splitting it up. So they're doing like multiple sessions um and that's it's hard right i think that's a harder group but you can do it and they, they end up making substantially more money than a, a public school teacher would i mean so that that works out well for them i wouldn't recommend it to everybody and, and most of the by far the majority of, of people working with us you know it's not this isn't their their goal is not to maximize their income it's to right. do something meaningful during the time when their kid is at school by definition right because they're with their kid and 
uh, and be able to create something that's valuable in their community and help out. So the money's nice, but that's not the main thing they're optimizing. So you have 800 or so, about 800 kids right now using Prenda. And so at the at least you have 80 micro schools. Yeah, that's right. I think 110, I want to say, that are live that right is. now. And then we've got some more getting ready to go for the fall. And you're nationwide at this point or where? We are technically, although um, Arizona is the place where we by far focus the most. So almost all of those students are in Arizona. We'll have, you know, one group in um, Spokane and one group in Bend, Oregon and one group in Salt Lake City. Um, but they tend to be, these are people who have kind of just found us through our efforts. We haven't done any sort of marketing or storytelling outside <laughs> of that. Um, and part of that is, you know, understanding new regulatory environments and just making sure that that we can enter. Uh, our goal is to make this, you know, free to parents. So to be able to do that means you have to understand how dollars flow through these systems. And, um, and I, you know, we, we know some places, but we don't have a strong footing outside of Arizona at this point. That's great though. That's, it's a great start, right? Absolutely. So, very cool. So what are, Kelly, what are some of the criticisms that you get or that you hear micro schools getting uh, that, uh, like, I mean, I guess I could come up with a couple, how would you respond to this, but why don't you tell me some of the better ones and, uh, or more valid ones yeah. and how you respond to those? I think you, you it's, you're going to hear a lot of the same questions as people will ask homeschoolers. So you'll get these stories mm -hmm. where somebody corners your kid at a, like a party and starts asking them math facts, like see if they know anything, like, because they don't, <laughs> you know, people are, people can be a little bit rough on on homeschoolers or people who do things differently um so same types of questions right like if if you're used to seeing school a certain way it's like well are these kids learning anything like how do we know that this is even working and and so um i just invite them in i mean i just say come look and, and talk to these kids it's actually fascinating to see um to see a child that wants to learn is something we're just not used to encountering i think it's, it's like been so long you know you go back um, in time, and you see examples of this around today, but for some reason, not as many. Uh, there was this boy in one of these classes that, you know, he had been in trouble. He had he had some behavior problems in his uh, elementary school. He came into this class almost as a sort of like a last resort, like instead of getting kicked out of school. And this guy, I mean, he decided, I'm going to learn stuff. And he took on um, math in Khan Academy he mastered all of sixth grade math in two months. So it was like, obviously like the, the view that everyone had had about him was false, right? Like that was like disproven immediately. And then he keeps going. He's just like, he's like well into seventh grade, you know, year and a half worth of academic progress in just a few months. And it's like, now, wait a minute, like what is going on here? You know, and it just raises like people that see that will will start asking some questions. So and it's not not that way for everybody. We have kids that, you know, everybody's going to move at a different rate. Each human is different. Our goal is not to have everybody at a certain point at a certain time, because that would feel like the factory model that I think we're trying to kind of avoid. But I think what we what we do see is once they make that decision to learn and, and they know how to learn, uh, there's significant progress that's made. It's it's really cool to see. So that would that's be one of our potential criticisms. And so I, yeah, I, I well, think, I'll go ahead. I think you answered this already. I mean, you, you said that you know. Um, Families can use their empowerment scholarships accounts to to use um, to, to attend Prenda schools. Can Prenda schools also come together as a 
public charter school or is yeah so we like i said we've partnered with with schools um, either district or charter so we don't have a horse in the race necessarily um, but for example, what that would look like is these kids would be virtual, they would be enrolled as virtual students. Mm -hmm. um, all the academics tracked that way. So, you know, they take the test, that's all reported through the Department of Ed, like any other school. Uh, but then physically, they're, they're meeting in person and, and having a great experience. So yeah, we have multiple ways to accomplish that. And, um, and like so I said, we know Arizona better than we know other places, but we're right now looking for ways to Sort of introduce this model and, and make it available to as many kids as possible for free. So it seems it seems to me like one of the, your your competitive advantages, at least in theory, is that you know Prenda doesn't have to spend as much on capital costs and facilities, at least in theory, and that perhaps you might be able to reward teachers more for a, a job well done. Do you see that you know a, a lot of your teachers are making more than that than they could have made in the traditional? Yeah. It's, it's tricky because there's uh, there's haircuts in the way that the funding goes. So before we even see anything, so we give 60% of our money directly to the, the guides that, that run things. Um, that's our kind of target number. The, I think the number in, you know, a, a traditional, if you just looked at the National Center for Education Statistics, you can do some rough math. I think it's much less than that. Um, so by percentage, it's it's a lot more. I think the problem is, we're already so haircut in terms of like the funding that's available to us. So there's a lot of funding being used for other things that we don't necessarily get to see. And that, um, that means that per, you know, teacher per year, and it's not a teacher, it's a, a learning guide, but for that person per year, it's actually less in, a, in total. It's more per hour. We do fewer hours. It's but less then like half the students or like a quarter of the students too. And right? 10 students. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's some differences. It's it's hard to make an apples to apples comparison. Yeah, because you're only getting at at well, least getting a quarter ADM, but that's multiplied by 0.85. Yes, and so that's your best number, right? You so, know, you know this world, Matthew. Yeah, <laughs> that's your best number. Yeah. So yeah, you you definitely have some haircuts on. But, but that's on that. right. To Corey's point, I mean, we've tried to design this to where there's as little waste as possible, you know. And someone asked about tech. I mean, for example, there's huge administrative burden that a lot of traditional schools face that, frankly, could be done by computers. And so our goal is to try to, you know, eliminate anything that a computer can do. We want computers doing it so that we can allocate human talent to the real tricky parts of um, you know, interfacing with these kids and solving the, the puzzle of a human being, which is, that's, that's hard. And I don't see computers being anywhere near ready to solve those problems. Yeah, I think the point that, that you made where like 60% of the resources are going to the teachers is a good one and, and something that one of us should write about, either Matthew, myself, or someone else watching. Because I mean, if you think about it, if you take like an average school size class size of 20 i mean maybe it's maybe it's higher this is a lower bound estimate of the average school you know class size in the us 15000 per student so you know about $300,000 per classroom average teacher makes about 60 that's only 20% of the resources going to the actual yeah. teacher and some people will say oh average class size higher you know higher then that means the 20% will even be lower than right. Yeah, well, another way to put that is what, what's the 60 percent of 300k i mean it would be great to be able to pay and obviously that simplifies things and people have to pay for buildings and they have to pay for 
there's administrative layers and things, but it, it's been liberating in some ways for us to be able to design some pieces of this from the ground up and not have to inherit, you know, cost structures that that may cripple that uh, that ability to really deliver directly to the kids. Yeah, well, those are disadvantages of the system, right? Um, those extra layers of administration, those extra costs. And, and by the way, we're not even taking into account the facilities because in large part, the majority of those dollars don't get comprehended in the numbers that were just cited because they go through different mechanisms. Like in Arizona, it's the school facilities board. A lot of that money comes in from uh, through different avenues. So you guys it, know more it, about this than I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, all that to say that 60%, you know, a three X per student or per teacher is pretty darn good. So, but yeah, I feel an op-ed coming on, uh -oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta give us your, your, your data so we can cite it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean the whole idea, I mean, we've made this argument in other articles that school choice could benefit teachers too um, in a lot of different ways because, you know, labor market competition is, in theory, uh, good for you know the employees themselves. Um, could ratchet up uh, compensation, but it also could lead to more autonomy and more you know smaller class sizes, like like what what we're seeing with the Prenda micro schools. So. It's actually been really fun to meet people that have, in some way, shape, or form, been part of part of the system before, and to see them, um, you know, really excited about what's possible. Just mm -hmm. to remove some of the and and. Yeah, I, I agree. I think my worldview is much less about the people. It's much more about about the structure, right? And and yeah, so if you have people who feel limited, like why why do they feel limited? And and is there a way to kind of do it differently so that they don't have um, they don't have those limitations? I think it's it's pretty amazing to see what they'll do with it. Uh, I was also interested. You know, you said you like 110 uh, micro schools going on at the moment. Have you seen any trends like in you know? some micro schools will have like a certain focus, whereas another one will focus on a, you know, whatever. I mean, is there like differences in specialization um, between, yeah. you know, have you any comments on what, what you've witnessed? It's been interesting. So we didn't, um, I, I think I kind of had an idea that that might happen when we started out, but we didn't do anything to facilitate it. So it's just really been market driven. Just to kind of see what people, what people bring um, and the area that's been maybe the most fun is the rural areas. Again, we have these communities. Um, there's towns in Arizona that I've lived here a long time and I've never even heard of. And so it's like, oh, wow, like what's going on in this area? And and there's kids in these micro schools that are, you know, banding together to like farm and take care of, raise animals and um, just dig into to different activities and pursuits as part of just integrating it as part of their day. So they still do all of the you know, math and English, science and social studies, the, the, you know, the core academics are there, but then on top of that, you know, their projects might be, might involve all kinds of things. And, and that's been really fun for me to see how the guides kind of bring their own unique perspective and, and interests. The kids bring their interests and it comes together to form something different in, in every situation. So kind of how take on their own personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So how is, uh, Prenda been adapting to, you know, the COVID-19 closure and, you know, what, what changes have you seen, you know, with your organization and maybe even elsewhere? Yeah. Maybe 
yeah, just any. The the biggest one by far is um, interest is is through the roof. So we've had tons of people come to us. Um, the way I've described it as I've talked to various friends, as you can imagine, a kind of a distribution of, of interest, right? And Prenda's like a line over on one end of that distribution, which is the, um, you know, people who are like ready right now to make a jump. Uh, and then there's people who are like, never will I leave my neighborhood school. And there's people kind of in the middle saying, hey, yeah. that's, that's a little weird. That's not for me, but cool, whatever. So what I've seen is those people have all seemed to shift a little bit, like as they've, not tons, it's not like all those people are ready today mm -hmm. to sign up for a, a micro school or to homeschool. But what you're seeing is um, everybody's a little bit more open to it. They're, you know, they have their kids home. They're, they're experiencing some of it. And part of that reaction is like, oh, there's actually, there's some interest, something interesting here. Like I actually like being part of this and, and involved. Uh, some people will say things like, you know, uh, I think that I didn't, maybe like, I didn't realize exactly what was going on, you know, in my classroom. And now it's like right in front of me. So they can kind of see places where it could be better. Um, and then there's there's people who are just like, I can't wait for school to open and my kid can go back there and that's all fine. I think those people will be more uh, inclined. And what we've seen is some of those people have kind of crossed over that line. So we had a whole bunch of people that were talking to us about starting a micro school or being part of a micro school in August when you know the next school year starts. And those people with a shutdown are just like, Hey, let's just enroll right now. Let's just let's do it. So we've seen actually a big bump just over the last little bit as as parents have sort of encountered this and banded together in neighborhoods in a way that's that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, and Kayla's here. Thanks, Kayla. How are you? I'm glad it's working out for you. And um, she's talking about um, transitioning. One of the things that we've seen that makes it kind of interesting or easy to transition, and and obviously we'd prefer a micro school. We really like the in person attributes mm -hmm. of, of being together in person, but these kids, they know how to learn. So they're used to a flow where they set their, their goals every day. They report their goals. They do a collaborative activity led by one of the students. They do their projects. They want to engage uh, with each other. And so now they've got that. Plus they've got mastery of some of these basic technologies. And so putting that together uh, at home with their parents is actually less stressful. It's been a relatively easy transition. I, I know there's still places and I hear about them where our guides are saying, I wish we could do this or I wish this could go. Uh, we've tried to supplement some of that and, and create kind of virtual experiences that everyone is invited to. But many of our guides, just like Kayla was talking about, have been able to um, jump on Zoom, you know, engage with the parents, work together in a way that um, that unlocks some of the the learning still, even the, even in these challenging times. So do, you said you've seen an increase in the demand uh, of people reaching out. Do you have any like um, statistics, you know, like what percentage of it, an increase? I mean, yeah, I think we had, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble giving like my team's probably like somebody's watching this for my team and they're like, you got the numbers wrong. I want to say we were 700 <laughs> students at the beginning of shutdown. And uh -huh. I think our number right now might be 850. So just to give you a little bit of 150 students on top of 700, that's a pretty In big what, five, six weeks, six right? Weeks. Yeah. Six yeah. Weeks. You got to remember a lot of those people probably would have started in August anyway, but um, because of everything, it's like, might as well just do it now. I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit bigger than, than this uh, um, survey that I 
did unscientific. You probably can't see it really well, but yeah, I asked a lot of my followers, you know, what school were you going to before shutdown and where do you plan to go after? And so I looked at everyone who said traditional public school before it looks like 15% of them. And that's around, you know, you, you said around a 21% boost from the seven, the seven to the uh, eight, yeah. 850 is about a 20, 21% change. Um, you didn't have micro schools on your list. You probably would have seen yeah, that. Yeah, should have. Should have <laughs> but maybe they're, maybe they're thinking, you know, the respondents are thinking of Prenda as kind of like a homeschool co-op situation, sure. even though it's not the same thing. But it's good to know that my numbers are kind yeah. of where, where your numbers were. Um, obviously, close. my poll is not scientific in in any means, but. I mean, yeah, it's just not representative, but it's the only information we really have besides what what you gave us with with your yeah, it's an interesting time, yeah. absolutely. and and yeah, I think it just in discussions, it's been interesting to me to talk to friends of mine that are much farther away from that, you know, ready to jump kind of um, mm -hmm. edge on the distribution. And even them, you know, they're kind of like, hey, like we did this thing together. It was like it was interesting or, my kid mm -hmm. was doing these worksheets and it was obvious that they weren't learning anything from those worksheets. Like it was just busy work for them. So we just ripped them up and did something different. And so having those just little moments where parents start to think more about, I have this, this, this post that I will be, um, that I've been sharing called the, the red pill and the blue pill for education. And this idea of like, what is school even for? Right. And, and you see parents, I think forever it was the blue pill was just kind of you just do what they tell you to do. And you, you trust that if you do, you know, you do all your assignments and you take the tests and you kind of like move from fourth grade to fifth grade to sixth grade, eventually this like massive escalator will spit you out somewhere good, right? Like I'll, I'll end up with a job. I'll end up with a good college degree. And, and, and it's been true. I mean, there's, I think there's actual evidence, like, you know, people who have a college degree make more money, for example. But I think what more and more parents are starting to see is that it's not actually the, the escalator, that's that's the thing, right? And we're giving people this red pill saying, what if it was about learning? And what if what if the main goal of all of this was to help your child learn and care about learning? Um, we go back to this, this ancient Roman Plutarch uh, quote that's like, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have seen before, but the mind is not a vessel to be filled, it's a fire to be kindled. And I think so much of what people's experience has been is like, here, pour knowledge into your head, you know? Yeah. Like, remember this, hopefully long enough to like spit it back on the April test. We're saying it's, it's actually something very, very different. It's, it's like light that fire. Yeah. Kayla's talking about red, red pill family. Uh, you meet these people that, that buy that and that, that see the world that way. One it's, it's liberating in a way, I think akin to the movie, right? Where I'm re referencing the matrix here, but where you're just like sort of, it's scary to take it, but it's also, once you do it, it's like amazing to see like, oh, this is actually not this mysterious black box that I don't understand. It's this, it's about me and my brain and my child and their brain and what do they love and what do they want to love and what do they want to learn? Um, my son right now is learning guitar with a lot of his extra time. My daughter is uh, working on ukulele and what, what else was she doing? Getting into like the, all these weird science projects she was finding off the internet. Yesterday she was showing me how she can make an egg bouncy somehow because of <laughs> any she like i come home and she's like learned something that i don't know and it's it's just the best like i love seeing kids really engage and take ownership of, of learning whatever that looks like right they can that can be a number of different things but if you think about what's really going to help them in their life and this is the red pill moment right is i believe 
that being a learner is going to be much, much more valuable to you than just following through, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking as somebody who got straight A's and I was a salutatorian of my high school, right? But I, it took me a long time to realize that all of the skills that I had developed um, to do all those things were actually not helpful to me. It was, like, I, it was actually a big uh, catastrophe of identity that happened in, in grad school where I had to say, oh, like not only do I not know the material, I don't even know how to learn. And I had to redo my whole identity in a way that was painful and hard. I, I wanna change that and give that to a, a kid from the very beginning and, and let them see themselves as capable of learning anything and having that audacity and confidence to just you know, tackle a, a project. They need adults to be next to them, caring about them. They need a group that reinforces themselves reinforces all of that environment. But that's what we're really trying to do with, with empowering learners at Prenda. That's a great way to wrap up, actually. Mm -hmm. A great, great closing statement, Kelly. <laughs> um, we appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, in conclusion, where can people find you and Prenda? We saw the website so, uh, earlier, but let's yeah. And this is my personal Twitter. I do. I'm not great on Twitter, but if you guys want to engage directly at Kelly Smith in AZ um, and PrendaSchool.com um, or at PrendaLearn would be great for finding us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's always PrendaLearn. Um, so yeah, check us out. We'd love to meet you. I, I, it sounds like just from the comments and, and watching these come through, there's great people out there with with all kinds of enthusiasm for these ideas. So I would love to, uh, to engage and, and work with you guys. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today, Kelly. We appreciate your time. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Cool. Have a good one. Thanks for, thanks for joining us and to the audience. Thanks. Thanks for coming out. Um, uh, thank you for being engaged with the comments and questions and, uh, until next time, uh, this is the educational freedom Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. You can find EFI online at efinstitute.org, on Twitter at EF underscore Institute, and on Facebook at Educational Freedom Institute.